So 73% of Gen Z says that the economic environment has made it more challenging to save. That's according to a report pulled from Bank of America. What are your thoughts on that, George? Good point. Uh, you know, the impact of financial literacy does involve real behavior changes around financial matters um, that literally sets people up for financial stable and secure lives. Um, it is unfortunate, um, however, that despite these notable impacts of financial competencies, the early childhood educational system places little to no emphasis on developing basic financial literacy skills. Um, so what do you think our listeners should do? Oh, there's only one answer. Stay tuned to find out more. Welcome to another episode of the Dapper Dollars Podcast, where we answer your financial questions, but a bit with style. I'm in Nirvan. We also have George, and we're your host for the show. So George, what are we talking about today? So today we're going to be having an insightful episode. One of the reasons financial literacy for kids is so important is that financial attitudes, habits, norms, typically be- develop and begin between the ages of six and 12. So when students are typically in first to sixth grade, um, so recall your earliest um, childhood memories. Do you remember tagging along with uh, uh, um, your parents to go to the grocery store, um, adults to actually go to the bank to make a deposit, or even listening or hearing to like your guardians and parents or people who take care of you actually plan out a budget. Um, so from our earliest memories, um, we have witnessed the importance of financial literacy for kids even if we didn't realize it at that time. Um, So teaching kids about money and healthy money habits at this age can have lasting impact. So with our guest today, we hope to highlight on her leadership experience and community-focused work in the elementary education space and have conversations around what kind of money habits with students within the K-12 you know, bracket are exposed to through curriculum and other means. Um, and who do we have the pleasure of introducing us, our guest today, Anne Yeah, uh, so today we have the pleasure to introduce Tristan Bragg. So Tristan Bragg is an educator and an inclusion ideator. Her career as a public school educator spans over 17 years and has allowed her to serve not only as a teacher and a coach, but also as a school leader and leadership coach for the district and school leaders across the country. Alongside of her work in public school districts, she coaches educators examine their relationships to power, privilege, and oppression as a transformative tool in reimagining public school education for all kids. As an inclusion ideator, she finds the most joy in collaborating with creatives to build spaces for storytelling, creating opportunities for public school education, and sharing perspectives to make operating with binaries obsolete. So welcome, Tristan. Thank you all for having me today. I'm excited to be here. So before we get started with the conversation, I know it might be like a hard-hitting conversation. Let's start off with a fun icebreaker. So if you had $10 million show up in your bank account, what would you do with that? So I think the most responsible thing to say on a financial podcast is I would first find a financial advisor um, and then maybe a tax attorney. Um, and then uh, in alignment with truly who I am, I will run away somewhere in South Central America where it is warm and humid and brown and just set up shop. I really would give the majority of the money to my family so they wouldn't have to call me for anything. And I would just take what I needed in order to just travel and and see uh, all of South America because that that is truly where my heart lies. So 
I feel like that was a balance of being responsible and being true to myself. So off the top of your head, what would be the top two countries that you would want to stay in, in South America? So no, no top two. I would be in Colombia. I would be in Colombia. Probably back to Cartagena and Palanese. <laughs> I like the answer. Like that. So I, I, think, I think it's such a good, it's a perfect like um, segue to, you know, just going into the meat of questions. So going off your bio, you have created and impacted the early childhood educational space for quite some, some time from being a Teach for America alum, which a lot of people do not know, uh, to founding a charter school. Um, can you walk our listeners through how everything sort of culminates into your current role as a leadership coach? Yep. Um, so it was just astonishing hearing um, you all read my bio and me really coming to terms that I have been doing this for 17 years. And I think the thing that grounds me, or I know the thing that grounds me is always my why. And my why is um, I always ask myself, am I worthy of the sacrifices my ancestors made? And what type of sacrifices am I currently making as an elder and eventually somebody else's um, ancestor. And I particularly think about and or center Gen Z and Gen Alpha because they are currently, you know, here and they are the generation that I have been allowed to um, educate as well as work with other leaders to educate. So once I think about my why, that truly drives me to get really clear on what does it look like to build community and how do I impact building community for people who look like me and for people who do not look like me so that all kids can be served. I think that in my current role as a leadership coach, I really get to help leaders to reimagine what public education looks like when we truly center the learner and the communities that we serve. Sometimes there are narratives or, or definitions of success that are put on communities. Um, and I get to help leaders to center their community and get really clear on what does success look like for this community and not imposing um, sometimes these narratives that we get from mainstream communication around what success looks like. So I think that in centering my why as a leadership coach, I really get to help uh, leaders to get clear on what success looks like for their community. I, I love that. And just to kind of, um, you know, uh, unpack that a little bit. So when you speak about your why and also how that sort of come, comes in coexistence with what you're actually doing, um, what would you say, has there been any way you've tracked the success of like, you know, since you actually being in this role, like what, how, how do you actually track the success? Okay. Well, I mean, when we think about the systems that are in place and you think about public schools, there are um, many ways to, how can I say that? There are many ways that you can decide like what success looks like. And those are very near and dear and special to the community. For example, as a school leader, what was very important to me was parental involvement. And so on my campus, I had a a person who was in charge of culture and we literally tracked um, and made transparent to our communities like 
we needed 80 people or 80 families to attend this event. And then next month, our goal would be 100 families to attend an event. And that was very important to my community um, because I built uh, or founded an elementary school in a very tight knit community. So collaboration was very important to me as a school leader and in educating the whole child. So we had to get really concrete on what that looks like. Um, as an educator in the state of Texas um, and in supporting leaders across the state of Texas, of course, success is going to be tied to standardized testing. And in Texas, that looks like our STAR test. So one way that I can also track my success and or impact is looking at um, the teachers that I coach and the leaders that I coach around their success rate on the STAR test. And so those are two different ways um, of how we could um, track and like name success. Again, I go back to this thought of reimagining public education as this partnership between community and school. And so I would charge, I charge every leader and anybody, you know, listening to this podcast to get really clear on what success looks like in my community so they can start to, to track those factors or get you some qualitative and quantitative data. Hey, um, I liked how you said that I have the opportunity to teach Gen Z and Gen Alpha. And that's such an interesting perspective that you just shared right there because that made me think every teacher and educator has a generation that they work with and that's, you know, flourishing the next whatever decade that we're going to be uh, approached with, you know, whether it be the next creator, like the next generation creators, next generation workers. So I'm curious to hear about from other teachers, you know, what their perspective it is, but what is your, um, perspective on this like so i'm going to share a stat from bank of america and mentioning that majority of like 16 percent of americans between the ages of 18 to 26 are very optimistic about financial future so that's a very small amount 16 percent. so what, what would you say based off your experience working with children and working on their mindset what's your pr perspective in about early exposure of financial literacy and m money habits okay so i think that just like um, the lives we live, they are very multi-layered. So I think the first thing when we talk about mindsets and habits, we have to talk about influence. And then when we talk about influence, we have to be really clear on unpacking um, our students and our communities' identities, right? So when I say things like influence and in mindsets, like what things are in place that are influencing our habits and our mindsets. So when I think about early childhood or I think about Gen Z and I think about Gen Alpha, before I can think about what influences their habits and their mindsets, as an educator, I have to think about who are the adults that are educating Gen Z and, and Gen Alpha? And that leads me to a conversation that I have frequently across my community about where we are as millennials. Now, I could go on all day long on how being a millennial is a sweet and priceless um, experience. However, what we what we tend to talk a lot about or what's a hot topic right now is student loan debt. And so when I think about the adults or, or also student loan debt and home ownership, 
When I think about the adults that will teach those children, I think about what are the habits and the influencing of the adults that are going to teach those students. And we have a lot of teachers that are that can't really see past their student loan debt. And so I think that there's a very important conversation that's not happening around how do we integrate that into teacher prep um, programs? Because when we talk about educating Gen Z and Gen Alpha, something different has to happen. Um, And that has to happen in programs where we are getting teachers ready to build and influence these mindsets and habits around children. So um, to give it some context, how can I as a teacher, how can I teach um, my third graders out about budgeting and income if I haven't done that right in my own personal life as a teacher if I'm not receiving professional development right as a teacher or like as a person to do that in my own life how am I then equipped to do that with students what does that look like so I think we always have to go back to Who are the people, the places, the things that are influencing our children and what knowledge do they have before we put it all in front of like where where we position the teacher and the student as both learners at the same time? That's not conducive at all. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's it's kind of like the concept of leading by example. Right. So what about, you know, for any of the teachers and educators who are listening to this episode right now and they just heard that, what kind of advice would you give to them that they don't feel as quite prepared personally, but then they're still in that position of teaching? From a personal standpoint, right, if you are a public educator, look into your employee assistance programs or they might be called EAP programs. Um, reach out to HR because sometimes they provide like some type of financial advisor assistance. Um, I am not on social media. However, I am grateful for social media because we get information really quickly, really uh, in a really efficient way. Um, start Google. I always say, you know, reach out to your cousin Google and 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 re and build a plan for yourself and get really vulnerable and ask the questions that you feel like. Um, you know, you didn't answer or you wish you would have known before you tackle adulting. Because the more we can get better equipped as adults and as educators, um, the better teachers and or educators that we can be. That is why I do the work around DEI where people get to really sit and I'm sorry, diversity, equity and inclusiveness through um, identity work and getting real clear with your relationship to power, privilege and oppression so that teachers get the opportunity to start to peel back the layers of their identity to do the work that they need to do to be the teachers in the communities that we choose to serve. So something concrete is reach out to EAP. Secondly, go to social media, right? Watch a TikTok or two. Find you a, a, a YouTube channel, like use the resources that we have in place um, to spark your curiosity. And then third, reach out to your financial institution. Why are they your financial institution if they are not educating you about finances? And then the fourth thing, if you are a teacher, get really clear on what financial literacy looks like Um according to your state standards or according to your curriculum or what you're supposed to be teaching. 
um, so that you can start to integrate those things for your students. Because I also think that there has to be this shift around making financial literacy or viewing financial literacy as a real tool that kids need when they graduate. We know they need to be able to read and write and they need to be able to budget. It needs to be that important. I like that. And I like how you started from like being a teacher, like the power of teaching is really like a professional curiosity thinker. And so you start creating that curiosity, learn and learn it, learn it all, and then be able to that have the privilege to teach. Right. So I, I like that a lot. I like that, too, as far as um, and I'm sorry if I wasn't supposed to interfere right here, because I, I appreciate you saying, right, teachers are here to spark and foster curiosity. And that should always be the not always be in a utopia. I would love for education to be this place of inquiry, right? And how do we support and foster children to get curious about their world and how things work, right? And so if we enter um, education from that space, I think that then it creates more conversations for kids to talk about their day-to-day. So we can talk about things, um, in a contextual standpoint and not have to just teach it because the state standard says so. For example, math influences our day from the time that we wake up until the time that we go to sleep. And what does it look like to teach math in in that context versus the way that I think a lot of states teach it, where it's this very like mundane thing um, that's influenced by state standards versus what we really put in place in our day-to-day life. Hey, if you've made it this far into this episode, George and I want to give you a big thank you. It means a lot to us that you find our content valuable. And it will mean the world to us if you can share this episode with your family and friends. That would help this episode and future episodes discovered by many others who find this as valuable as you did. Again, thank you, and let's get back to the episode. Uh, it's brilliant. And just a quick, uh, just a, a, uh, a shameless plug. I'll say, I know you mentioned um, YouTube being your friend, but also just a plugging. hey, you know, you can also look at the dapper, the dollars too as well, because our mission is to, you know, bridging that, that gap within financial literacy. We are available across all most social media platforms and all podcast platforms too as well. Again, you know, our episodes are kind of built around like, you know, making you understand better, like, you know, what is around you and how you can use that to actually go ahead and have that, you know, better mindset, you know, in wellness, in health and also the mental space too as well. So yes, stay in tune. Uh, so that's just really cool. I really do appreciate that. that was such a brilliant, um, you know, response. And I think that kind of falls into my question because, you know, when, you know, your, your bio was being read, one thing that stuck out to me was that tag and inclusion ideator, basically. I, I like that. And, you know, and you just spoke about just, you know, your work around that DEI space. And so what measures can you recommend um, that should be put in place to bolster financial literacy, uh, you know, so bolster that understanding, you know, in the early childhood education space. Perfect. Um, I appreciate you bringing up the inclusion ideator piece because I do think that um, the purpose of my life is definitely like 
here to illuminate the spectrums. We've got to push back this binary, right? And we've also got to push back on just some of the things that have been put, I'm sorry, the system that has been put in place around um, how we should operate. So when I think about early childhood education, again, I'm always going to start with the adults because we have so much power in, in the roles that we take on as being educators. And the first thing, again, going back to identity development is understanding yourself um, as a whole person. And unfortunately or fortunately, that means that we need to unpack some of the archetypes and some of the bias that we hold so that we can really get clear on what we think and how we feel about the communities we choose to serve and how that impacts us as educators, right? If I have been taught to think a way about brown or black communities, right? That's going to influence how I show up um, and what I think about my kids and what the bar of excellence looks like in my classroom. And so I definitely think that identity work has to be a tool um, for all teachers, especially those in early childhood education, because they're laying the foundation and their task with building a love for learning. Um, that's the sweetness and the richness in being an early childhood educator. Also, children at the ages of three, four, and five, they have already made meaning of the world around them. They are not coming as blank slates. They are coming as sense makers and navigators of their own little worlds. Um, and so therefore, as a teacher, you need to be equipped to foster that curiosity or that navigation that they come and not shut it down and like give them these things to regurgitate. Um, so with that being said, in early childhood education and financial literacy, we need to create more spaces around number one, what does it mean to be an early childhood uh uh, edu early childhood educator in this community, right? What is important to this community? How does this community use uh, financial literacy as a function? What does it look like to partner with our community so that financial literacy is just as important in early childhood education as it is in elementary education, middle school education, secondary and post-secondary? What does it look like to create a safe and brave space for us to have conversations with parents, right? Because we can send home activities saying talk to your child at the grocery store, right? But are we taking into consideration how parents feel about talking to their children at the grocery store? Are we giving them tiered questions and not like this blanket question that we think um, all parents should be able to answer or will be a great conversation starter for all communities? But getting really clear on what does that look like in my community so that I can start to have those conversations. Because the last thing you want to do as a teacher is teach children something um, that will spark outrage or make your community feel othered, right? So coming in, talking about, you know, I want you to go home and talk to your parents about what is the, the, the grocery budget, right? Well, if I'm a parent that doesn't budget or I'm not comfortable with the word budget, right? 
that right there can can make a, a family feel othered, right? But if we start these partnerships in the beginning with our community around like, what are our financial habits? What does financial success look like um, in this community? What would you want your three-year-old to learn about when we talk about financial literacy, right? And we start to have that conversation in the school and we can finish it at home. So I think it's rooted in partnership and getting real clear on what what your community needs and defines as success. Brilliant answer. I, I, I like that. I really like, like, like that. I mean, just that... Uh, that understanding where is such a cascading effect where you start from the top, like, hey, you educate the community and the cascading effects just fall force down. So that way it makes it easy to align. So whatever you're being taught in your classrooms, you can take it at home because like your parents are exposed and they, they know how to actually give you feedback and stuff like that. So brilliant, brilliant. I like that. Hey, if you've made it this far into this episode, George and I want to give you a big thank you. It means a lot to us that you find our content valuable. And it will mean the world to us if you can hit the like button and subscribe to our channel. This would help this episode and future episodes discovered by many others who find this as valuable as you did. Again, thank you. And let's get back to the episode. Um, hey, so I think that's a great segue to the next question. I think you mentioned about, you know, what children can learn and they can bring back to their homes. But, you know, there's also the children... Um, Maybe it's not like the responsibility or maybe they forget to bring it back to their parents. How would you advise parents to partner with teachers to keep these, you know, this idea of inclusion leader, right? As partnering with the inclusion leader or transforming a teacher and educator to an inclusion leader. How do you, uh, well, how would you ad advise parents to partner with that to create that idea of inclusion? So I think that when we talk about inclusion, we have to also talk about exclusion, right? And we have to get really clear around, um, again, what is the, the story of, or the history of partnership within my community? Because that looks very different. Um, there was a day and time just in my own lived experience. I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, and I um, remember my elementary school being this just place of community and trust where we knew our teachers, our teachers lived in our community, um, our teachers knew generations of our family. And it was like an extension of the community. Um, the principal had been there for years. Um, and it was a place where parents felt uh, welcome and supported and almost like an extension of, of my household. However, and being a, a school leader and also a transplant to all of the communities that I have served in my career, um, there has to be this first step of leaders getting really curious around, or in my experience, me getting really curious around the communities that I served so that I could support uh, that partnership between myself and the community, but also for my teachers and parents. And so if, if my, my initial thought is number one, continue to position parents and community members as the experts that they are, right? They are the experts in the community 
um, so that we as as educators get to view them as people who definitely hold a, a very key and integral part of our success so that we can build this partnership of we are all here to educate one another. And I don't hold all of this power to educate others as a teacher or as a school leader. But parents have information that I need and I have information that parents need. And the kid benefits the most when we work together. So I think um, in advising parents, I would also tell parents or empower parents um, with that information, you are expertise on your child. In order for your child to get the best education possible, you have to center and foster a partnership with not only your child's teacher, but also the school. And so when we start to talk about the entire school, we can talk about the entire community and we can work together to divine success and execute um, what we think Um success looks like for our kids. I also want to name that those definitions and those visions should be free to evolve. We should not have the same definition of success or goals that we had in 2018 and 2023, right? And so this partnership has to be committed to evolution. It has to be committed to transparency. Like, what is changing in the community? What has changed about our priorities? What is changing in state standards? And what does that look like for our community um, um, priorities? And what other conversations do we need to have, right? So initially, when I started my response, I talked about exclusion and inclusion, right? So we've also got to be transparent and have a conversation around what conversations do we feel like we've been left out of? What does it look like to empower our kids to be parts of those conversations, right? Um, what, does it, what does it look like to empower our kids with the tools that they need to show up in a system that has disregarded them, right? And I think that those conversations will are all integrated and you will find that finances has to be at the top because so many things are discounted or you are not afforded certain experiences when you fall in in a specific socioeconomic class and we've got to talk about well what does that look like right to get our kids equipped to, to not be discarded or to not fall into this socioeconomic status, right? So, because I think that shows up in coded language, like we want our kids to have more opportunities or have it better than we did. Okay, well, let's flesh that out. What what does more opportunity look like? What does having it better than you did look like, right? What does these sacrifices, right? I feel like it's real coded language, which for brown and black communities is a language of survival, right? But also talking about like, let's get real concrete for when kids graduate from high school, we have the savings ready for them, right? They are applying for scholarships. They are not applying for loans because we want them to be labeled middle class because that gives them more opportunities. But also just being real transparent and, and being vulnerable and having those conversations and removing some of that coded language. Hey, I had a quick follow-up for that. Um, you mentioned a lot of good points right there. And even what you mentioned earlier about certain 
subjects or conversations can be sensitive and um you know every person is different how they react to these things and so for example like budget can be a very sensitive topic of word right and you have to either it's either you code it or you get to the concrete things so um like what's your recommendation or advice for uh working with parents that are sensitive to certain subjects or conversations how do you open or break that barrier down to have a more open honest conversation so I think that, uh, first of all, it's going to sound very cliche-ish, um, but trust, you have to, you have to be intentional around building trust. And so you have to look at every interaction with a parent, whether it's one-on-one or a whole group activity or any type of interaction makes or breaks trust. And that was one thing that I definitely, um, uh, Centered as a leader um, and reminding my teachers and my staff that we were always building a brand. And a part of our brand was that people trust us. They trust us with their children. They trust us when we come to them with a problem and we need a solution. They trust us in our partnership. And so make sure every interaction is building trust. Um, the second thing is you have got to be ready to talk about it when when those interactions go left or don't build trust or break trust. What does that look like um, and how do we repair those relationships and not disregard them? Because I think then the 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 next thing is what does it look like? for me to get clear on those conversations and what needs to be in place for those conversations. So let me take it from theory to very contextual. So you asked, right, what does it look like to talk about the word budget, right? So something concrete that can be done is um, day one, sending home very open-ended surveys, right? For example, one survey that, that we used on our campus is Tell us everything on the calendar that you celebrate, right? So we never use the word holiday. We all have to use the school calendar. So we sent home the school calendar. Tell us every day that you celebrate um, so that we could be mindful of not using holidays because there are some people out there that don't um, use the word holiday. There's communities that don't use the word holidays. And um, if there are communities that do not celebrate anything, they have the right to say we do not celebrate anything and leaving it very open ended so that our families could go in and go month by month and write down what they celebrated so that we could have an inclusive campus conversation. So the same thing, I'm sorry, uh, inclusive campus calendar so that we could honor what our community celebrated, whether it was one child or every child in the room. Um, So the same thing can happen when we are trying to have conversations. We can send home surveys and say, hey, we're looking to build community and in building community, we want to have a shared vision of success. What does success look like to you um, at the end? year at the end of your child's K-12 schooling experience, right? When you think about success, um, what topics are very important to you and you feel comfortable talking about in an open space? 
what topics are very important to you that you would want to talk about a one-to-one with a school leader or a teacher and what topics are uncomfortable and off the plate, right? So giving your parents some type of survey like that or your, not just parents, your families and communities because everybody doesn't have parents, um, but anybody a part of your school community, very open-ended survey so you can collect that data. Brilliant, brilliant. I, I really, I, I really do appreciate that. I mean, I think, you know, taking it, taking also the, your previous response where you were able to create that distinction between inclusion and exclusion. I mean, that was such a takeaway for myself because like, again, this is why we have this conversation. So you get to actually have more awareness. Um, so it kind of goes into my next question because, um, so I know you mentioned like, just like things that can be put in place. So you also mentioned a, a key word, like parents actually is on them to build that expertise to actually go ahead and pass down, you know, the knowledge of what they've learned to like, you know, their children's or their awards. Um, so if for parents and teachers who are listening to this and or so many or other people who want to learn more, uh, do you have any, like, you know, is there like a book or a resource or, or anything else you can recommend that they can, you know, go, go read up or look at in order to actually build that expertise? To build expertise. So um, there's a book, I cannot remember the name off the top of my head, but it's yellow. And it's it, it's like how to talk to kids in a way that they'll understand. Um, I think it's a parenting book. Um, however, I read it as an educator because good, you know, I needed to woo, learn how to talk to uh, Gen Z and Gen Alpha. And I'm very invested in multi-generational uh, communication. But also... Um, <laughs> I think also I cannot think of any book off the top of my head right now, but I do think that there are some very val- valuable resources out there. My uh, first response is always for parents, right? Go to your um back to school nights you meet the teachers and have your 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 questions already written out right because those questions should be the things that are near and dear to your heart and don't just ask those questions to the teacher ask them to the school leader to the school counselor to the school nurse like get really clear on who is the school community um be active be as active as you can um there are a lot of platforms and schools are being very uh creative and using tech to build community so if your campus uses a platform like dojo um, be active on it so that you can build community, not just with the people inside the school building, but other parents as well. Um, for leaders, I highly recommend that you have um, back to school night, meet the parent, and you think about what about my working parents, right? Can I have a back to school event in the morning? Can I also have one in the evening? Or could I have four, two in the morning, two in the evening on two different days, right? So that we are showing our parents that we understand that you work. We understand that, you know, hours are all over the place. So we want to provide multiple options and we get out of this 
thing where we only offer like one offer and everybody has to come to that one time. Um, Send home surveys. Ask your parents and your community members what time and day works best for their schedule so that you can get optimal turnout. Um, So always start with being curious um, before I would recommend a book or a resource because I cannot think of any off the top of my head. It's fine. I just want to say to our our listeners and, you know, our viewers. um, So one thing that we will do is make sure to get those those resources from Tristan. So I would make sure to include them in the podcast notes, the YouTube captions too as well. So for for this episode. So whenever you watch this or you listen, make sure to um, check check, check it out because I think you know, it's also important, again, like building that expertise is such a good recommendation. You just have to find the resources to actually start to learn how to communicate. So I agree. All righty. Well, thank you for being on the show, Tristan. Uh, it, it was awesome sharing your thoughts from your personal experience and the little nuggets that you just gave us for parents and educators like yourself. And I love the idea of inclusion leader. I love that because it's it's you're you're trying to build communities, not just uh, that's like a school system, right? Mm-hmm. So I love that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I wanted to ask you this: How can our listeners get connected with you? I am on LinkedIn, and so people can look for me on LinkedIn if they want to connect or follow up. But you know, that is my my. I just celebrated my half birthday on Thursday, and when I was reflecting, because I believe in celebration. I am going to commit the next six months to <laughs> joining some type of social media. So, you know, eventually I'll have one of those fancy, you know, handles. But in the meantime, I just got to align with the stars. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? We'll see you on TikTok doing some Wait. dances, teaching kids, <laughs> all <of> the above. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. If you found this episode helpful, it would really help us out if you can leave us an honest five-star review on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, it will be awesome if you can share this episode with your family and friends. That would help gain traction for this episode and our channel. And finally, don't forget to look good, feel good, and do good. See you at the next episode. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Bye.